Here we go. Well, good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Mike. I have um, been one of the elders here in the past, I'm still involved in leadership in one or two areas in the church, and I speak once a month or once every two months or so. And uh, I have to say, this has been one of the most interesting talks to prepare for. It's been really difficult, and it's been really easy at the same time. It's a bit weird. It's a subject about which there is so much written in the Bible, and I'll remind you what the subject is in a minute. Um, but there's so many different ways of looking at it, and the words are so complicated, that trying to make sense of it all in a way that can be presented in 30 minutes is a real challenge. It could be a whole sermon series, actually, what I've got to talk about. So I've been really pleased to have had, um, I've had it for a long time, a book called The Lion Handbook of the Bible. It used to have a nice paper cover on it, colored. It's got loads of really interesting facts that are really helpful in studying all sorts of things in the Bible. If you're a, you want to be a Bible study student, this is a, a really good book to have. And another one I've used that's been really helpful is the NIV Study Bible, which has got notes on all sorts of things and also verses uh, explained right throughout the Bible. It's brilliant, really good. So I've, I've really enjoyed using those two things. But before I <coughs> talk about what it is I'm going to be speaking about, I want to tell you a little story of something that happened to me and my wife, Nicola, sitting over there the other day. We have two grandchildren who live near London, one who lives in America, but these two, Eva and Edie, we occasionally have for a sleepover. We had them uh, two weeks ago for a night and a day, two days, and we went to Bushy Park. It's quite near Hampton Court. You've probably all been there. It's lovely. We had a great time. And on the way back, as we were um, putting stuff in the car and putting it in the boot, one of them, Eva, I think it was, the older one, who's seven on Tuesday, she said, can we get in the boot? I said, oh, all right then. Uh, and we sort of sorted things out. And she and Edie clambered into the boot. Edie's just four. And uh, they wanted to stay in there. And uh, then they said, can we go home in the boot? Now, hands up, anybody else who's ever gone into a car boot and wanted to go home in it? I bet a few of yes, you see, uh, yeah. And it's kind of, it's this sort of size and it's this sort of height. So there's plenty of room for two little girls. There's a light in there and everything. But the light goes out. And uh, I knew on the way home it would get very dark. But we have a little opening in the front of our boot to put skis through, you know, some of those... Uh, big estate cars, so we could we open the boot, and there's a lovely little photo we have of two little faces peeping out through the, but of course, if mummy found out that we were taking the girls in the boot, she would be very upset, but I didn't want to say to them, mummy wouldn't like it, so what did I say? I'm afraid it's not legal. The police would give me a really hard time if they caught me with two little girls in my boot, not tied down. So, my, this is my trailer for law, Law can be really good sometimes, it can be really helpful. <laughs> sometimes it can be a little bit annoying as well, as, uh, as I'll uh, try to explain as I, I go forward. Um, and I, if I get a bit messy, I do apologize, but there's so much that I could have said. It's been really hard deciding what not to say, as well as what to say uh, about this topic. So I am going to talk today um, 
as part of our series on Amazing Grace on Amazing Law. Amazing Law. And uh, perhaps as you're thinking, as, as I have thought in the past, I thought the law was kind of gone and, and dead. Uh, kind of, huh? Didn't grace replace the law? Have you ever said that to yourselves before? I've certainly thought it in the past. Isn't it grace v. law and grace wins? So law's gone. You ever said that to yourself? Yeah, it's something that we probably all think. And in fact, Jesus said, I am giving you a new command to love one another. Didn't he? He said that, as I've loved you, so you must love each other. So if, it, if you've got a new command, then maybe the old command isn't relevant anymore. And that prompts a very, I won't say careless exploration of scripture, but an uncareful reading of scripture that just gives you a mindset of actually the law's kind of dead and gone and you don't need to worry about it because we're all under grace. Anybody been there like that and thought actually law's not that important? I bet we all have. But here I am today talking about amazing law. So, um, law is very helpful, isn't it? We need it for society. We need it in our personal lives so that we know what we're supposed to do and what we're not allowed to do. We need it for society to be cohesive and for people to care for each other and to be punished if they do something wrong as a deterrent for not doing things wrong. We need it in the international sphere, don't we? People are talking about the international law being upheld in the, in the fight that's going on between Israel and Hamas at the moment. We need it. Um, some of the laws are quite annoying in our country. Some of them are really unchristian. And there are some organizations that uh, campaign to change laws that are ungodly, that God wouldn't like, even though society seems to like them because godlessness seems to predominate in society. Um, I have another funny little story of a law that I found really annoying once. Does anybody remember a band called Delirious? A Christian band. Martin Smith is their main singer, and he's still singing today. Well, in the old days, I used to go and watch them every now and again. And I took my two boys who were in their teens. I think they were about 10 and 12 or something like that. So quite young, maybe, maybe a bit more than that. And we sat quite a long way from the stage because it's so noisy. I put earplugs in their ears, and in my own ears, because it's so noisy. We went to, to uh, Shepherd's Bush Odeon. Anybody been to the Shepherd's Bush? I think it's the Odeon, isn't it? Anyway, been there a few times for other bands, but I took the boys to this, and we sat right at the back at the top, but they couldn't see, because they were only that sort of height, and there were people standing up. You get a bit carried away. And so I said, stand on the seats, boys, and sit on the back of the seat, then you'll be able to see. And they were there listening and sort of going like that. And a lady came along and said, oh, they can't go on there. I said, why? They can't see you there up there. She said, it's against health and safety law. And I uttered the immortal words that you've probably heard somewhere. Then the law is an ass. I really did say that. I felt so stupid later on. But that's all I could think of to say. I was so cross. Uh, and, you know, I don't know where that comes from. But we probably all thought it in the past and said it. Uh, and there are some laws that definitely aren't right. So it's quite important to know what law I'm talking about and we're talking about when we say amazing law. I've been reading through the Bible in a year, like a few other people have in the church, and I've been spending quite a lot of time reading Psalm 119, <coughs> which, 
as you know, is the longest psalm in the Bible. If you don't know, that is true. I'll give you a fun fact. The middle of the Bible is, apparently, I haven't counted it, but that's what they say, Psalm 118, verse 18. It's quite nice, isn't it? 11818 is the middle of the Bible. On the left-hand side, before it, is the shortest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 117, two verses, about God's love. And on the right-hand side, just after it, is the longest psalm in the Bible, 176 verses, I think. And it's easy to dismiss Psalm 119 as being a bit crazy in love with the law because the person talks about the law, the writer. Um, and it's a, it's a psalm that's been made out of the Hebrew alphabet. So it goes from the beginning. What is the first? Alpha? That's, that's Greek. Yeah. So I've forgotten. I, I meant to look it up. But anyway, it starts off and it has eight verses per letter of the alphabet going through. And they all talk about how wonderful the law is. So it's really easy just to slide over them, especially if you don't think the law applies these days because grace applies. So I was going through it and I, I came to a verse, which is verse 120, which Diana will put up, I think. Here we go. And I, I read this and I was about to move on somewhere else. And then I thought, hang on, that verse is amazing. The writer said, my flesh trembles in fear of you. Sort of reverent fear, reverent awe of God. I stand in awe at your laws. And I stopped and I thought, this guy is really keen on the law. What, what is it that causes him to be so in awe of the laws? And, and I wanted to explore it more. Um, so I, I said to myself, why would he write it like that? Why would he be so excited? Obviously, he's a scribe and somebody who was involved in making sure that law was put into action. But he wrote this great long psalm with loads of words in it. And when I came to some other ones, uh, like verse, verses 76 to 77, is that easy to go to, Diana, or should I just read them out? If it goes, it's a challenge. I, I didn't give Diana a list of the, the verses because I wasn't quite sure which ones I was going to read out. Well, I'll read it, and then you'll see it up there. Psalm 76 to 77. Sorry, Psalm 119, 76 to 77. May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. This person was depending on their delight in the law for God to look after them. And he did that all the way through the psalm. There are so many different places. And in the next verses, 78 to 80, just after, after those. Don't worry, Diana, I'll just read them out. That's fine. Sorry. Um, he he's uses the words precepts and statutes and decrees. And he says, Lord, help me to know your word so I'll be blameless. And he was sort of depending on it. And finally, the, the, the verse that I want to say to you, uh, 95 and 96, and he says, the wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. He's depending on the law and his love for it and his reading of it for protection from God. He said, they're coming against me, but I'm holding on to your law. For him, the law was really powerful. And his final words there, there were, to all perfection I see a limit, but to your 
commands are boundless. I thought perf perfection was the end, but beyond it, he was excited about the law. Lovely verses in Psalm 119, you'll probably agree, and it's really worth studying it and just getting excited about it, like he was. Um, so the question is, we kind of know why the person who wrote Psalm 119 was excited about the law. Should we be excited about the law? Should we stand in awe at the law? Good question, isn't it? So again, what is the law? So I'm going to have a very quick look at what the law is. And you will find the law in the first five books of the Bible. Uh, the Hebrews called it the Pentateuch, Penta being five. Um, they called it the five-fifths of Moses, the, the first five books in the, the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, um, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, not necessarily in that order. I got them slightly wrong. Um, and it spans the time between Abraham and Moses. And a, a little known fact to me, and it might be something that you had heard about but never really thought about, is before God gave the Ten Commandments, which are part of the law, in fact, 430 years before he did that, he gave a blessing to Abraham. Anybody ever cottoned onto that and read it and saw it? He promised that he would bless all of mankind through Abraham. And he mentioned the word seed, which is Jesus. Looking forward to a time when we would be blessed by Jesus. So a promise was given to Abraham 430 years before the law was given to Moses. That's quite an important fact, which I'm not going to talk any more about because of time. But it's quite a thing, isn't it? God gave a promise before he gave the law. So why did he give the law? He gave the law because he said, right, I've saved you out of Egypt and I'm going to be with you. Um, and I'm going to put up the Ten Commandments, or I'm going to ask Diana to do that. No, actually I'm not, because I'm going to read it out of the message. Don't try it, Diana, it would just confuse us all. I'm going to read a bit of it out of the message. You might never have read the Ten Commandments before, so here it is, in abridged form. God spoke all these words. I am God, your God. This is the message version of the Bible. It's a kind of paraphrase, but it's really descriptive. I am God, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a life of slavery. No carved gods of any shape or form or anything whatever for you, because I am your God, and I'm jealous, punishing the children for any sins of their parents. And yes, even to the fourth generation of those who hate me. But I am unswervingly loyal to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments. So, no using the name of God in vain. No curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. Observe the Sabbath. Keep it holy. It's the Sabbath to God, your God. Honor your mother and father so that you may live long in the land that you will be given by God. No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lies about your neighbor, no lusting after your neighbor's house or wife, etc. That's it in a, in a sort of half nutshell. And uh, it's easy to think of the, the law as being no, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. But actually, it's good. Because the God who created the universe, who rescued the Israelites out of slavery, said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be right there with you in the fire, in the cloud, as you go to the promised land. 
I'm not going to just leave you alone. I'm with you. I'm the God who made the universe. So it's only right you behave as I want you to. Isn't that right? It's good. This is how you should live. And I will bless you if you live like that and do what I require you to do. I've written some good words here. I'm going to read them out. It starts with, I am God who made the universe. I saved you. You are my chosen. So this is how it's going to be. I'm holy, so you must be holy too. And I'll give you a sacrificial system so that you can stay holy. This is a charter for a liberated people. That's good, isn't it? And St. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, Why did God give us the law? And this is a paraphrase again, because he knew we could not help sinning and we needed it until the promise to Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus, the savior of the world. So that was the Ten Commandments. Uh, You'll know that there were other bits of law straight after that and a couple of chapters after that in Genesis and there is more in Leviticus about holiness and there's more in Deuteronomy about how to look after each other and relate well to each other. Now, the thing is, there were more laws added to these, which is what I didn't really know, and this is what really upset Jesus. You will know that the, the Israelites did sin, and they were punished by God, eventually most of them being exiled and taken away from the land of Israel to Babylon and Assyria, and they did sin, and even though God forgave them time after time, and they had the law And the sacrificial system, it didn't work. They couldn't do it. And they were exiled to all these places with just a few hundred left in Jerusalem. It was an awful thing. But when they came back in the time of Ezra, who was was a, a, a scribe, a priest at the time, they started to compile their own regulations and laws in how to live to try and stay more holy. For instance, they had 39 things that you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath. That wasn't in the law in the first place. And they did all sorts of things that led to Jesus being really cross with them. And you'll probably know some of the stories in the New Testament about Jesus being upset with the Israelites or the Jews for the way they treated people. I'm not going to read this one out, but there's one that says... You use the law of Corban, which is giving to God. You say, I'm going to give this to God so I don't have to give it to my mum and dad. And you don't follow the law that says look after your father and your mother. And there's another one in Matthew, verse 23 of chapter 23. In amongst a series of woes, Jesus was really cross with the scribes. Woe, he said seven times. And one of them, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you have neglected the more important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's what Jesus was cross about. And actually, those parts of the law weren't in the original law. I never really realized that. And uh, maybe you didn't either. So, in a way, Jesus wasn't saying the whole of the law is bad and you're really hypocritical to keep it. He was saying these rules you've got that stop you doing what is right according to the law are the things that I'm really cross about. That's quite helpful to know, isn't it?
So he didn't say, forget the law. In fact, he said, I come to fulfill the law, uh, which I need to turn my page over to move on to the next bit. And he was really pleased with the law because it underpinned looking after vulnerable people, slaves, strangers, women, orphans, and it was a strong community unifier, the law, to keep the Israel community holy and pleasing to God. So Jesus thought it was really good. In fact, he said, I have come to fulfill the law. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, sorry, I'll just change pages. He said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So I'm going to explore that a little bit more in a moment. But there was quite a nice connection that I saw in some other verses that uh, I think we've probably read them out in church over the, the last months. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, which is a favorite chapter of mine and a few other people I know. Um, it says, and again, I'm not going to ask Diana to put it up unless, unless it's there straight away. Ephesians 2, 14 and six to 16. Uh, it, it says in the old version of the NIV, in fact, it says it in this version of the NIV, Jesus abolished the law in his flesh. But actually, the new version of this says he set aside in his flesh the law, which is rather nice. Um, because, um, in fact, I need to read that out. Jesus set aside in his flesh the law and reconciled Jew and Gentile to God, putting to death their hostility. If only they'd put their faith in him. Jesus came to reconcile us to God and to reconcile Jew and Gentile together through faith in him to God. And it's so good that you introduced what you did, Matt, this morning, and I was going to do the same. To say the only way it feels to me that Israel, Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran, the other proxies for them, are ever going to reconcile is by people turning to Jesus. It's the only way. Because they both think they're right. They're both squabbling over a land which they both lay claim to. And it's only with Jesus in their lives and God working through them that the kind of thing that you were talking about with a, a church working with an aid agency for the Arabs will bring about peace. When love comes, and I've got a book here which I haven't read. I've read a bit of it. Nicola's read it all. It's called Son of Hamas. It's about a young man in his late teens who became a Christian. And he was this, the oldest son of one of the leaders of Hamas. And his natural life projection would have been to become a leader in Hamas himself. But he didn't because he became a Christian and he worked for righteousness and justice as much as he could in the community that he was in uh, and working with Israel to help them to understand about how Hamas works and so on. So if we can pray, which we need to, for leaders and individuals to become Christians, then what a change can be, can be made. I, I heard a, I hadn't planned to say this, but I heard a, 
a story of a person who was um, a prayer warrior. And one night they had a vision in which they marched across oceans to Russia and didn't really know where they were going, but they marched. Uh, God was carrying them in this vision into the Kremlin, and they found themselves standing behind the president of Russia with a hand on his shoulder, and they prayed for him. And that was a vision they had, whether it, was, whether it really happened or whether in the spiritual realm it really happened. Isn't that an amazing thing? I've got this picture of somebody with great long legs striding through the sea and then standing behind President Putin, praying for him. That's what we can do in the spirit if we pray. And people are, and people have loads of stories of how things uh, happen um, in the spirit if we pray for uh, Jesus to come to people in places that we can't get to. Jesus gave the greatest commandment, didn't he, in Matthew 22, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul, and the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And that's it, the law of love, which encapsulates the good parts of the law that, we've, that I've been talking about. It would be very good just to see what Paul says about the law. Um, because he says so much and it's so good. I, I'm not going to read out many verses. I'm just going to sort of summarize what the verses say. So you could just relax if, you, if this is slightly overwhelming and I'll come back to you. But if you want to hear, then please, it's about, it's five different things I'm going to read. In Colossians, the message version in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says, when you are stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant cancelled and nailed to God, to Christ's cross. It's good, isn't it? I, I was thinking of being, bringing a big old cross that I have in my garden and nailing something to um, the bottom of it saying, cancelled my arrest warrant for all my sins, and then inviting you all to go up and don't start banging nails, and then I thought health and safety would <laughs> probably not allow that. It would take a long time and be a bit embarrassing, so just imagine nailing to Christ's cross your arrest warrant for all the sins that you've committed and having them just all cancelled, just like that. That's what he's done for us, if only we trust in him. That's a good verse from, from Paul in Colossians. And in Romans 3, he says, Is the law cast aside now because we've been saved by faith in Jesus? No. We uphold the law as we live for Jesus. And in Romans 13, uh, verses 8 to 10, We have no penalty now to pay except to love. If you love, you fulfill the law. All of it. That's something to celebrate, isn't it, David? <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself that's it he says that's what we need to do and Romans 8 which I, I love and I managed to learn once I still remember these first few verses but again it's a paraphrase the law was unable to save us 
because it was weakened by our sinful nature. That's what it says in, in that bit of Romans. So God sent his own son as a man in the likeness of sinful man, he says, to be a sin offering. And he dealt with sin so the righteous requirements of the law, which is good, might be fully met in us who no longer live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Isn't that lovely? He's dealt with it all for us. Two short final ones, and then I'll move on to our response, which is important, our calling. Romans 7, verse 7 says, we would not have known what sin was without the law. So it's good from that kind of point of view. So the law is holy, righteous, and good. And finally, in Romans 6, verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. We are under grace. So our calling, and the next verse I've, I've put here, it is by grace we have been saved. Through faith, this is in Ephesians 2 again, verses 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. God gives us faith. He helps us to believe. It's amazing what he does for us. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we've been prepared to do good works. And Chris is going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks. Amazing works. So I'm not going to say any more on that. Apart from it's, it's a kind of obvious response to God's kindness to us. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6b, which I love. It's a really great verse. Paul said, the only thing that counts is love. No, it's faith. Sorry, it's faith. I said to Nicola, how does this verse go? And she put me right, but I keep saying it wrong. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Isn't that lovely? Paul was arguing with some people who wanted to circumcise all the new believers. He said, no, it's love, it's faith. That's all that matters. And uh, Romans 5, 2b since, says, since he has lavished his grace and love on us, we can exult and rejoice in the hope that we have in God. We can dance and sing because we know what he's done for us. It's amazing. And we, we should pray that he just gets hold of our, our hearts and just makes us want to dance around and, and worship him. Thank you for leading us this morning in, in doing that. It's so important. That's what he wants. And he's the most perfect thing in the whole of creation. So why wouldn't he deserve it and want it for himself? And uh, Jesus said, if anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's like the wise man who builds his house on a rock. So it withstands the storm. So all the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, these are good things to read and uh, follow and study because it's truth. And uh, it's not the law, but it's him fulfilling the law in saying those things. I'm going to read one final scripture, and it's from Titus. It's a letter from Paul to Titus. When I read it, there are two chapters, and it's uh, Paul giving instructions to Titus, who was a church leader on Crete, an island of, of Greece in the Mediterranean. He was saying, this is what you should do. This is what you should teach people. These are important things. So I've taken a chunk out of that, and I'm going to read out from Titus chapter 2, verse 10b. 
through to partway through the chapter three. Um, have you got that, Diana? Because it'd be quite good, because it's quite a chunk. So I don't want to send people to sleep right at the end. <laughs> Titus chapter 2, verse 10. And there are lots of similar things written by Paul and others in the Bible about how to respond and live the life that God calls us to because of his kindness to us, which are all according to uh, the law and love. How are we doing? Sorry, I should have warned you about this one. Oh, great, here we go. Okay, so I'm going to um, start from the second part of verse 10. So this is Paul uh, instructing Titus to, in every way, make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good these then are the things you should teach encourage and rebuke with all authority do not let anyone despise you Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, uh, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, that's making it just as if we hadn't sinned, justified, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And the very last verse at the end of that chapter, he says, grace be with you all, because it's all from grace. That's why we have this sermon series, Amazing Grace. Well, I hope that I've given you uh, a bit more understanding about the law and how some bits of it actually deserve to be no and other bits are so important that we need to just well like i've just been reading out from here um so i'm going to pray actually i did think to myself these shoe boxes are a response to all that i've just been reading because of the heart that people have and particularly what that Karen has to the people who need the support in the Ukraine. That's what we should be about. Um, and there are all sorts of things that I've written down, like we need to pray. We need to show our gratitude to God by working for him. Um, what else have I written? Ah, 
one final thing before I pray. It's really nice. A little story that I read as I was doing the Bible in a year that uh, Nicky Gumbel, if you, if you know, he's the writer who put together the, one of the Bible in a year things. He said it's, uh, it's as if you have a guitar string. Unless it's tied into the guitar at the top where, where the key, where the twisty bits are, it doesn't do anything nice, doesn't make a noise. But if you wind it around the spool at the top and tighten it to just the right um, tension, it produces a lovely sound, a lovely singing sound. And I thought of a verse, I don't know where it is now, where Jesus talks about, my yoke is light. And I was just thinking, it's a bit like us being wound around Jesus and tightened up to just the right tension so that we can sing with him. We're not under a heavy yoke of the law now. We are under a yoke that Jesus is helping us to carry. We're in yoke with him, and he's carrying the, the weight, and he says, join me. It's light. There's fun in this place, and we can sing if we're wound into him. That's a, that's a, I hope that's a nice picture. Anyway, let me pray. Lord God, <coughs> I thank you for the revelation that I had as I was doing this study, and I pray that you, Holy Spirit, will take what I've said and use it um, for my friends, my brothers and sisters here as they go out and live life. Lord, help us to please you. Help us to accept our place in the yoke that you have offered to us. Thank you for your kindness that you don't load us up with things that we can't cope with, with laws that we can't keep. You freed us from all of that, but you freed us to serve you and to honor you and glorify you in the way we live. Please help us, Lord. Help us to pray well, to work well, to honor you and to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.